You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. There we go. Uh, we'll be in uh, chapter 49 of Genesis uh, this morning. It's page 29 in the uh, Seatback Bibles. I'll be reading selected verses uh, from this chapter. I'll be reading verse 1, then 8 to 12, 22 to 26, and finishing with verse 28. Let's read. Verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Verses 8 to 12. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Verses 22 to 26. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. In verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Let's pray. Lord, in this uh, season of thanksgiving, we do give you thanks for this day. Thank you for this study of Genesis that, as we have learned, points us to Jesus. May we be open to your truths from scripture today, and may others see Jesus in our lives every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. There aren't too many TV shows that my family and I like to watch together, in part because there aren't too many TV shows that span the interest of a four-year-old to a 13-year-old, and then to mom and dad as well. But one show that has actually captured us is, if you're not familiar with it, The Great British Baking Show. The Great British Baking Show. It's, it's one of these uh, shows that's in the genre of reality game shows. I think Survivor was the first of its kind, so you get a bunch of people, they were on an island, then week after week, somebody gets kicked off the island. It's like that, except they're in a tent in Great Britain with great accents, making really fantastic food, and somebody goes home. And for, for my family, we will watch it together, and we like knowing who the star baker is, and 
we pick a favorite contestant, and inevitably whoever I pick goes home very early in the show, and the kids think that's great. And, um, you know, as we come to Genesis 49 today, I, I grant that in our text we haven't seen a star baker, and, and we haven't walked through cake week, but there is a parallel between the great British baking show and the book of Genesis, and, and that has to parallel that I see is this. In the family of Abraham, up into this chapter, there has been one champion son who has been picked, not so different than the Great British Baking Show. See, in, in that show, they start with 12 contestants, and then you have one at the end with the award, and it's awesome, and their family gets to celebrate with them. So in the family tree of Abraham, we have seen him picking one champion son who receives the Abrahamic blessing and eventually passes it on. And so here in Genesis 49, we come to Jacob at the end of his life and we wonder, which son is he going to pick? Who, who's going to win the great Jacob baking show, so to speak. Who's going to be the, the chosen son in the Jacob selection show? Turns out, Jacob, just like Great British Baking Show, has 12 contestants as well. And this is where the text is going, but heads up, there's actually going to be a connection for us at the end about how we are picked or not picked in God's great selection show, if you will. And, and that's where we're going to be landing. If we get to see how Jacob picks the chosen son in his family, how does God pick the chosen son in his family? That's where we'll end. But for now, please go to Genesis 49, open up, and let's answer this first question, which son will win Jacob's blessing? Which son will win Jacob's blessing? Now, if you've got your Bible open, and I hope you do have your Bible open so you can see this with your own eyes, this section of Scripture looks quite different than the Scripture before it. Do you notice that? As well as I, it looks different than the text afterwards. We see that there, beginning in verse 2, all the way to the end of verse 27 is very unique. The reason, of course, is because this section today is not traditional Old Testament narrative. Instead, it is poetry, which is why our text editors have put it into stanzas. So I'm just wanting to call your attention to what's going on visually. We are in the genre of poetry. Now, a few of you are probably poetry geniuses, and you understand the ins and outs of poetry, and I should have asked you for help in this text, but for those of you who forgot this morning over breakfast to brush up on your Old Testament poetry reading rules, a few things you'd benefit from remembering or learning. First, the genre of poetry is very different than the genre of narrative. Genre of poetry is very different than the genre of narrative. In fact, poetry is to like an Italian opera as narrative is to a James Bond movie, okay? Both of them tell a story. Both of them can communicate a message, but the way they communicate the message is very different. Over here you have lots of Viking horns and different words and large ladies singing in very 
bubbly voices. And over here, you've got really cool suits and fast cars and guns. And if you're like me, you get this genre. This one is like, no thanks. But that's where we're at in our text, something like Italian opera, which is why it's important as we see this then in our text, we, we got to remember, man, this is unique, and we probably need to flip a switch in our head and not try to bring the reading rules of narrative onto the reading rules of poetry, just like the way you watch an action-adventure movie is different than the way you would watch an Italian opera. Now, there's no way we're going to cover all the reading rules of poetry this morning, but, but just a couple to make sure you're uh, tracking would be this. First, to remember that poetry is about getting, it wants to, poetry's purpose is to intentionally be more evocative. Poetry wants to get into the feelings. That's what poetry is trying to do. Poetry is less concerned with technical language and is more concerned with getting to the heart. Okay, that's why, that's why if you're going to write a medical textbook, you don't put it in the genre of poetry, okay? When, when you go to your pharmacist at Walgreens, you hope that their pharmacist handbook isn't poetic. You want technical accuracy. But, but when it comes to Valentine's Day, you want poetry, baby. Don't be bringing them a medical textbook. Pro tip, don't give your wife a medical textbook for Valentine's Day. So you look at verse 1 and you can see that prior to the stanzas, verse 1 is different. It's still Old Testament narrative and we see Jacob's purpose stated clearly. Jacob's calling his sons around him and he's going to prophesy this is what's going to happen in the coming days. And you could say Jacob then is speaking futuristically through the genre of poetries, poetry to his sons. Which now on this side of writing this sermon I realized why it was so hard for me to write. <laughs> You're talking prophetic poetry. And there were times I was writing this sermon that I thought, man, I don't usually feel like this, but I might as well just turn on an Italian opera right now because I understand that about as much as I understand what's going on here. But having done the hard work in this text, I'm excited to share the surprise reveal of who Jacob is going to pick in the great sun selection show. But to answer that question, first I want you to notice in this section how some sons receive Longer blessings while others receive shorter ones. Do you notice that? Again, look, look in the scripture. Just skim down Genesis 49 and notice that some sons receive a different number of stanzas. It's not equal. Reuben, he gets a couple. Simeon and Levi get a couple. By verse count then, notice Judah gets a lot of stanzas. Again, verse count for Judah is six. While Zebulun... Next, in verse 13, Zebulun only gets one. Keep going in the scripture. Issachar gets two, Dan gets two, Gad, Asher, Naphtali each get one. But then look at verse 22. In fact, we heard Charlie reading this. In 22, Joseph gets five verses. And Benjamin ends with one. But a first feature I want you to notice in this poem that Jacob is giving his sons is, there are two who get the dominant amount of real estate in the poetry, so to speak. Which takes us then, already kind of gets us thinking, well, I know who the two frontrunners are for the great Jacob's Son selection show. Just based on length, we've got two frontrunners. You see that? But a second feature I want you to 
see in this text. And, and what I'm wanting to do is help you understand how to read this text. A second feature is how the sons are arranged. Initially, I just thought, oh, they're just thrown in there in willy-nilly order. Or maybe they're put in there in birth order. Neither of those are true. In fact, turns out I did homework. And Moses put these boys in birth order in a way that arranges them by mother. Leah's kids are all first. That's verses 3 to 15. Followed by a son of a maidservant, Bilhah. Then there's a Zilpah son. Followed by Zilpah's second son, Bilhah's second son, and Rachel's two sons. Oh my goodness, pastor, why are you nerding out on the order of the sons right now? Here's why. The arrangement may seem odd to us, but in the middle of this poem, the way that Moses has arranged it shows us that these sons are being arranged in a chiastic pattern. That's your $5 theology word for the day, chiasm. Can you say chiasm? One, two, three. Chi. So now when you go to lunch and you see somebody at a different church and they're like, how was, how was Sunday? You can say chiasm. They're going to go, I have no idea what you mean. It's, uh, you know, our less technical word is sandwiching. There's, there's this sandwiching that's happening. And I tried to put some slides up so you can kind of get the idea that the way Moses has arranged it begins with Leah's sons at the top, Rachel's sons at the bottom. And, th and then next, there's this Bilhah son, because she had two, so those are the two next one. Then after that is this Zilpah son. And then in the very middle of this section is a prayer. And you can actually see the prayer... Right there in verse 18. Right there in the verse 18, there's all of a sudden this like hard stop on all this stuff about sons, and there's a prayer. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So what the poetry structure is showing us is that the sons have been put in a specific order. It points us to the middle of the prayer. It also shows us that the most important sons are at the end. For do you notice now in this second feature, which son is most important near the top of the chiasm? Which of Leah's sons is the most important? The one that got the most real estate, of course, and that's Judah. And then we also see at the bottom of this chiasm who the most important son is. So this second feature of structure is also giving us an answer to who is Jacob going to pick in the great son selection show. We're not quite sure, but there's something about Judah and there's something about Joseph with a prayer in the middle. All right, does this make sense? I, I, I know it's poetry, so even maybe the way I'm preaching right now feels like this is kind of a different sort of way to understand the text, but what I want you to get is this. Jacob seems to have two sons in mind. That's what's going on in this poem. We think he's picking one, but he seems to have two. Final feature to draw your attention to in this poem is that some sons receive what we, call, what we would call a blessing, while some sons receive what we would call an anti-blessing. I want you to see that in the scripture. Now, Jacob says it's all blessing, but I'm just trying to be honest with you and say, frankly, if my dad blessed me with some of the stuff he blessed me with, I'd say, keep your blessing. <laughs> I don't need that thing. But what happens then is, well, look at verse 3. See for yourself. In verse 3 to 7, we notice Reuben there, verse 3, is disqualified from being Jacob's chosen son because of this awful sin he committed back in 35. 
You can see it there in the middle of four. Reuben went up to his father's bed. He slept with one of his dad's ladies. And he's disqualified. He's not going to get picked because of something awful he did. And he gets an anti-blessing. You shall not have preeminence, Jacob says in verse 4. Keep going. Look at, verse, look, at, look at Simeon and Levi. Oh, my glory, middle of 6. Be not joined to their company. Simeon and Levi, you might remember, in Genesis 34, went on a murderous rampage and killed all the men of Shechem after convincing them to be circumcised. These are angry, mad men who Jacob is saying, what you did then matters. Reuben, what you did back then matters. You're not going to get picked. Simeon and Levi, you're not getting picked. Well, then Judah shows up in verse 8, and, and, and if you're a close reader of the text, you may be thinking, oh, he's got Judah next, and he's probably going to blow Judah up because you might remember back in Genesis 38, Judah did some nasty stuff. Judah wasn't faithful to the ways of the Lord, and in fact, he almost had his daughter-in-law killed for getting pregnant out of wedlock, and when she's getting ready to be burned at the stake or whatever... She goes, oh, by the way, you want to know whose baby it is? It's yours, Judah. Wah, wah, wah. That's a little embarrassing. But here's what's interesting about verse 8. Despite that terribly dark chapter in Judah's life, it doesn't show up here in Jacob's blessing. Jacob's poem doesn't mention anything about Genesis 38, and it can't be that Jacob didn't know. I mean, the other brothers' past have been brought up. Why isn't Judah's past mistakes brought up? Hold that thought for a moment. Let's come back to it. Finish looking with me. Verses 13 to 15 are, are the last of Leah's sons, Zebulun and Issachar. They don't get anti-blessings, but positive blessings, though, short. That's the same for 16 to 21. Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali, they all get some blessings. But again, surprising, because they were part of those brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. Why doesn't that get brought up? Jacob doesn't say anything about that. The final two sons, Rachel's sons, Joseph gets that huge blessing, as we mentioned previously. Benjamin gets a small but positive blessing. And what I'm, just, what I'm trying to show you then in this third feature is that there are still two clear favorites, but it seems that Jacob is inconsistent in whose sin he brings up in the poem. Which brings us back to that thought we were holding a moment ago. Why does a character like Judah get a pass on his sinful issues when he obviously did bad stuff like his brothers? All right, here's the answer then to who gets picked in Jacob's great son selection show. Here's the, here's the, here's the surprise. While Judah and Joseph are clearly the favorites, you know who wins? Everybody. All 12 sons win. All 12 sons are getting picked. Oh, yeah, different sons get different blessings, some anti-blessings, some good. Different sons get different amounts of volume in the text. Different sons have done different bad stuff. But all the sons, sons end up winners. Here's what I mean. Ever since Genesis 3, way back in Genesis 3, we've been tracking two family lines. We've been tracking two family trees. There is the seed of the serpent or the offspring of the serpent. And then there is seed of the promised woman, the, the offspring of 
Eve. And what we found out throughout Genesis 3 is that these family trees are so important. And that's why genealogies, though that, sounds like, that seems like flyover country when we read the Bible in a year. Well, it's like, yeah, skip that stuff. They're actually really important because they trace who is family tree of promise. That's going to get us to Jesus in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And who is family tree of serpent? And what we see in these two family trees is you may have the same biological dad, but that doesn't mean what tree you're going to end up on. So Adam has two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain, seed of serpent. Abel, seed of promise. Fast forward to Noah. Shem, promise. Ham, line of serpent. But it is with Abraham. Abraham has two sons, Isaac, line of promise, Ishmael, out. So it is with Esau and Jacob. Jacob is son of promise. Esau, son of serpent. So we get here, and there's this great surprise. There's this great surprise. And sorry, the slide didn't separate those more. I, I, I did that wrong. Those should be on opposite sides. But you kind of get the idea. Under the promises... It's one column under the serpent is the other. The surprise in our text is, despite some of these sons of Jacob demonstrating behavior like the offspring of the serpent, all of them get put into the offspring of the promise. All 12 sons get included in the good family tree. And all those Israelites who were the original audience would have realized what an unexpected and gracious gift it was that they were able to be included with the people of God. Especially since Jacob had good reason to leave some of them out of the good family tree. Okay, I hope you got that. That was our first point in this sermon. I know it was dense, but here's the answer. Which son gets picked in the great Jacob selection show? Answer, all of them. But why? Why do all get included? Because this is a new pattern. Abraham only picked one. Isaac only picked one. Why does Jacob pick 12? Let's tackle that second question in this second point of the sermon. Why did they, all of Jacob's sons, win the blessing? Why did they all win the blessing? So, uh, confession. Sometimes when I preach through a book of the Bible, I feel like I've got a little bit of a handle on it. And then as I start preaching through it, I realize... I did not have the handle on it that I thought I did. And so um, when we started this book a long time ago, I realized, I thought, Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, that is all about Joseph. Because we get introduced to Joseph in Genesis 37. He dies at the end of 50. Sorry if you didn't know it. Spoiler alert, he's going to die. And here in Genesis 37 to 50, the whole thing's about Joseph. And I was right kind of. Yes, Genesis 37 to 50 does center on Joseph, except for one little chapter, Genesis 38. And that was like a hangnail in my theory that I couldn't ever like figure out. Why? Why didn't they put Judah in Genesis 38 in that awful dark chapter about him and Tamar and going to burn her and whatever? Why didn't they put that before Joseph and then just get into the Joseph thing? Why did they introduce Joseph and then Judah and then keep this whole thing going with Joseph? I didn't know the answer. I do now. Here it is. Genesis 37 to 50 is definitely about Joseph. But it's also about Judah. Which we get to see in this poem. This poem really brings it out. This isn't the Joseph 
37 to 50 isn't just Joseph. It's the Joseph and Judah story. See, Jacob, he is definitely blessing Joseph. And I want you to get that, especially from this poem. I think Joseph gets this incredible blessing because he was the faithful son who suffered and yet brought salvation. Look, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? Joseph is a righteous son who suffers and yet brings salvation. Righteous son who suffers yet brings salvation. And here's what I think Jacob would have said in kind of today's vernacular. If it was not for Joseph being faithful in Egypt... If it wasn't for his faithful response to his brothers, my family would have died in the famine. But because of Joseph, not only was all of Egypt saved, not only were all these other people, the nations were saved because of Joseph knowing how to keep grain in granaries and saving 20% a year, making sure we make it through. Not only were everybody else saved, but my family was saved. Because remember how many times that the boys came down to Egypt to get grain because they're out of food. So because of the righteous son who suffered, Israel's family is able to be saved. We get a picture then. There needed to be a righteous son who suffers and yet saved. And because Joseph was that person, and we see that reiterated in this poem, verse 23, the archers bitterly attacked him. They shot at him. They harassed him severely. That's poetic language for Joseph really had to suffer awful. The family of Jacob is saved. And while that's why Joseph gets picked to be one of the sons, but the reason Judah gets to be highlighted is because Judah's the son who brought repentance and reconciliation to the family. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Judah brings repentance and reconciliation. Here's what this poem is showing us. And I want to make this as clear as I can. When it comes to why are all of the sons of Jacob included, it's because of both Joseph and Judah. They needed a righteous son who suffered and yet brought salvation. And the brothers needed somebody who would go say sorry and bring reconciliation. I think Jacob realizes both of those guys were needed in the equation. As well as God promising to make a nation out of these people that he selected. You know, why did they win the blessing? Ultimately, God's keeping his promise to Abraham. We see that in Deuteronomy 7, 8. God's chosen these Israelites, all 12 of these sons, to build them into a nation. And so God's keeping his promise to build Israel and he's using a righteous suffering son as well as a repentant son who brings reconciliation, which shows a surprise as we're thinking about why God did it this way. The surprise is that it's Judah's line, not Joseph, that gets the future kingship of Israel. Joseph gets a bunch of blessings. You see that in 25 and 26. But Judah, look in the poem, verse 8, he gets Victory over his enemies. Verse 10, he gets the king's scepter. Verse 11, there's so much wealth in Judah's family that they're actually using wine in their washing machine. Like, that's some wealth. I read a 
ESPN article about a professional athlete who takes hot tubs in wine because it's good for him, you got to be rich <laughs> to be doing that stuff. That athlete's got nothing on Judah's offspring. He's going to be like, time to do the laundry, get the wine, honey. <laughs> get the good stuff. The point again, Judah and Joseph both get the best blessings on Jacob's great son selection show, but they pave the way for all 12 to be in the promised tree. All 12 sons received the Abrahamic blessings because of Judah and Joseph. And so now we've done all this hard work of thinking and walking through this text, and thank you for tracking with me. But now I want to turn for home, and I want to try to connect the dots. For how does Jacob's sons being included in Israel help us understand for us today, how are we included in God's family? Final question. Let me try to connect the dots, bring this all together before I pray. Who wins the blessing of God's family now? See, question, church. If God had something like the Great British Baking Show, okay, if God was going to do this great sun selection show, tell me, who in here would make the final 12? Okay, all of people in all the history of time, we all apply to be on God's great sun selection show. Do any of us in here, are we sharp enough that we make the top 12? Oh, I know you and I think probably similar. It's like, well, I do sometimes demonstrate those qualities of Joseph in our text. I have been that faithful suffering son, my Lord. Yeah, right. If we're honest, just like when I watched the Great British Baking Show, a couple weeks in and you can already see the divide. Yeah, those guys are going home. I mean, sooner or later, they're just not as good as these people. One of those people is going to win. One of those people is going home. And so it is in our poem. We're able to go, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, you ain't got no shot. Y'all dummies. I may have to answer that for some day. Sorry, guys. Um, they aren't going to make it. And then there's a bunch of guys who are like, well, they're okay, but they're not Judah and Joseph. And so, yeah, you and I may like to think of ourselves as Joseph, but frankly, we're all actually much more like Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. In fact, we're like all the brothers not named Joseph in that we would have to be honest before the Lord and say, God, you've got good reasons to leave me out of your will. What you and I have in common is, we're not Joseph. If we were sitting there with Jacob, we'd have to go, yeah, dad may give us nothing because we deserve nothing. But if none of us has a chance to win the blessing of God's family based on our work, our actions, what hope do we have? And how in the world could we be included? Well, what Genesis 49 has showed us is that the family blessing comes from both a righteous suffering son, Joseph, as well as a repentant brother, Judah. So it is for any here who would win the blessing of God's family today, we need a brother who is righteous in suffering and will save us, as well as a brother who will bring great redemption. Oh, I love that. When I finally got there in sermon prep, I thought, I'm going to throw a chair through the window because now I can preach it. We think there's going to be one son of Jacob who wins the great Jacob selection show, but all 12 win. And so here it is for us, and we're going like, who's going to win here? Who's going to get me in? Because I can't get in on my own. I'm not a very good baker. Who is the one who comes from the family tree of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who is the one that Judah points to and that Joseph points to? Who is the one that was righteous in suffering and brought salvation? Who is the one 
who allowed us to come repent and brought reconciliation to God's family. The true and better Judah, the true and better Joseph, it is Jesus. Romans 5.19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Oh, Jesus is the star baker who, who made the most impressive bake of all time, and he offers it for us to present before the Father. As if God would look at us and he goes, that's yours? And because of what Jesus did, we can say, mm-hmm, count that as mine. I mean, Jesus made it. <laughs> he did it. But he's given it to me. See, if you keep reading in the Old Testament, past Genesis into Isaiah, you come to a prophecy in Isaiah 53 that really connects the dots between who Joseph is prefiguring and who Judah is prefiguring. It's, it's Isaiah 53 where we find that Jesus is the one who was oppressed and afflicted yet didn't open his mouth like Joseph. Jesus is the one who was cut off and stricken for the transgression of the peoples like Joseph. But he also brought us redemption. Like Judah, Isaiah 52, 3, Jesus bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53, 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Here's the, gen here's the beautiful truth Genesis 49 points us to. The surprising truth in this third section, because of Jesus the righteous and redeeming son of God, we can be saved and we can inherit the blessings of God. Not because of what we did, but because of what the chosen son did. None of us deserve it. If any of us were actually in the final 12 of God's great son selection show, God would be right to kick us off. But because of Jesus, we actually get to be welcomed into the winner's circle. We get to stand up with Christ and hold the trophy. For all who believe in Christ... You can be saved today. He's who wins the blessing of God's family, but he offers it. Application. First, for those of you who aren't Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're tracking with us. If you haven't made Christ the only Savior of your life, here's a question for you. Do you want to win God's blessing if you're here and you don't know Christ, let me ask you, maybe, it's a, maybe, maybe you're a child in here or a teenager or whatever your age is, let me ask you this. Do you want to win the great son selection show with God the Father? Do you want to be included in his blessings? Do you want to move from the line of the serpent into the line of promise? John 1.12, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Non-Christian, if you're here, here's how you move from the tree of the serpent to the family tree of the promise. Follow Judah's example. Repent and ask for forgiveness. Ask the righteous son to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Though none of us deserve to be included in God's family, the righteous and suffering son will save you. So look to him for salvation. Pray the most important prayer in Genesis 49, verse 18. I wait for your salvation, O God. Pray that. That's application for anyone here who's not a Christian. Save me. I wait for it. 
Okay, let's flip. For those of you here who are Christians, having looked at this poem, here's Genesis 49 application for you. I have two, then I'll be done. Here's the first one. Commit yourself to God's ways. Commit yourself to God's ways. What I want you to notice in Genesis 49 is that there are blessings or anti-blessings to each of these sons based on how they lived before Genesis 49. Okay? Here in Genesis 49, based on how they lived previously, Jacob is offering them blessing or anti-blessing based on their past behavior. And the parallel I see for us today is that there, one day for us, will be blessing or anti-blessing based on our past behavior in heaven. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 6, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. They indicate, listen carefully, Christian, future heavenly rewards based on your faithfulness today. Now, some of you just might have had your spidey senses go up and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Now, Grant, we don't, we don't talk about this very often, and there can be some misunderstanding here. And, and let me be clear. Neither Jesus nor Paul indicate that entrance into eternal life with God the Father is based on anything we do. Okay, so, so I'm not touching justification here. You, we all agree on justification. At least I hope you agree with what the Bible says. Justification is a declared righteousness before God. We are justified by what Jesus did. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's how you get in. What I'm wanting to call your attention to is that just like the 12 sons of Israel are included, some of them get different blessings. Ephraim gets the blessing he's going to be the largest tribe. Reuben gets kind of put into obscurity. Judah gets the kingship. Dan and Naphtali get a little. Different sons get different rewards based on their past behavior. But all 12 sons are in despite the awful mistakes in their past. And like some of the sons who get better blessings because of faithful living, so we see in Jesus and Paul, they indicate future rewards in heaven will be awarded based on our faithfulness today. Now again, my guess is you're thinking... I don't know if I've ever heard you preach this, and I grant we haven't walked through these particular texts, but write them down if you're wanting to think through what I'm, what's called rewards in heaven. Rewards in heaven. Matthew 6, Matthew 16, 1 Corinthians 3 would be the predominant text, 2 Corinthians 5. They all talk about rewards in heaven, and again, you need to separate rewards from justification. Those are two different buckets. They're, rewards are different than the gift of justification, but, but here's my point. While our obedience today does not contribute a lick to our justification, how you live today will echo in eternity. How the boys in the text lived before Genesis 49 made a difference in Genesis 49. And how you and I live this afternoon, that matters someday. It matters for us. So here's application. Get yourself to God's way, Christian. Commit yourself to God's way and know this, that when you live faithful, no matter what anybody else does around you, it matters. And God sees it. So live faithful to the Lord. Okay, pastor, how do I do that? Like, what are we even talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Be ruthless with your sin. 
be killing sin or it will be killing you. Man, I don't know what you're wrestling with on a sin level. But if you're thinking like an old youth did in my youth ministry a long time ago, I said, bro, you're not living faithful to the gospel. You're out partying every weekend, but you call yourself a Christian. He goes, it's okay, pastor, because you taught me in Romans 8 that once saved, always saved. So it doesn't matter how I live. I wish I would have had this for him. It does matter. And a thousand years from now, you're going to say, man, I wish I hadn't lived like that because that's not Christian. So if you're sitting here and you're stuck in some whatever the sin is, man, be ruthless with your sin. Do whatever it takes. There's a reason Jesus has used hyperbole in the New Testament when he's talking about gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand. He wants us to be serious. So be ruthless with your sin. Not because that gets you into heaven. Justification is settled, but because this is what we do as children of God who want to get to heaven and for God to say, man, thank you. Here's a reward for your faithful living. Courageous, ruthless with your sin, courageous in confessing. And this one hit me in the face this week. If we're going to be Christians, we got to say sorry. And the longer I'm a Christian, it's humiliating, but the more I have to say sorry. But true maturity in Christ is not needing him less, it's needing him more. I need him more today than I did last week. And that can lead us to go, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. It's actually sanctification. It's progressive, it's gradual growing in Christ likenesses. I need more of you now than I've ever done, ever needed before. Ruthless with sin, courageous in, courageous in confession, faithful in obedience. I'm going to do whatever you say to do. And kind in conflict resolution. When there's a conflict in a relationship, I want to be kind. How you live matters. Application two, contemplate God's great grace. Just as we saw the undeserving sons of Jacob receive God's blessing, so it is for us. We are undeserving sons and daughters of God who have access to God's great blessing. Just like the 12 tribes who were hearing this in the wilderness for the first time. I mean, the tribe of, of, of Reuben, when he gets the anti-blessing, my guess is some of the dads are like, yeah, bro, we got in by the skin of our teeth, but check it, we in. <laughs> and like Dan and Nephtali, their kids are like, man, I'm glad Grandpa Jacob didn't say anything about how we sold Joseph into slavery, but we're in. And what all of them would have had in common, all million or more strong out in the wilderness is, we are God's chosen people, and we're going to the promised land. We get to be God's people under God's rule in God's place. We're the people. I mean, that's good news for us. If you're in Christ today, you're in. Not because of anything you did, but because of he did. And that gives us reason to celebrate. And for what it's worth, I think one day in eternity, however those rewards get divvied out, I don't think we're sitting around and I'm going, I wish I would have gotten as much reward as Charlie got. He got so much. I got so. I think I'm, we're going to look at Charlie's reward and we're going to say, man, that's awesome. What's that? That's a great reward. Man, well done. And, and I'm going to look at whatever reward I have, and even if it's just by the skin of my teeth I'm in, I'm just going to go, man, God, you are good. We're in. Contemplate God's great grace. Jesus is the true king. Jesus comes through Judah. King David comes from Judah. Jesus comes from King David. 
Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah who will guard all of us until that day in eternity. The scepter's not going to depart from Jesus' line. Jesus is going to crush the serpent's head fully and finally. So commit ourselves to God's way, contemplate his grace. We get to be God's people, going to God's place, living under God's rules. Let's celebrate that. Pray with me. God, thanks for the chance then. Thanks for Genesis 49. Thanks that you've got a future for us. For those here who aren't saved, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. For those of us who are saved, Lord, shape us and make us more like Christ in whatever ways you want to shape and sharpen us. I pray you would empower us to live faithful before you. In Christ's powerful name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.